podcast for mid-july it is another great day in anderson we had a nice little break from this brutal summer heat and with lots of rumbling thunder and rain looks like we're back to sub 90 degree temperatures in the daytime for at least a week which is always good to see this time of year been a fairly slow summer for news so far uh, the county's unemployment rate saw a typical increase seasonal always happens is up to 2.8 percent statewide the jobless jobless rate stuck at 3.3 percent and the national rate's 3.6 percent um, Anderson County's Deputy Coroner Charlie Bozeman, who almost everybody knows was named the top coroner in South Carolina, had reached an award ceremony. And with more than 48 years experience, he is a resource for every other office in the state and it was well earned and the county can be proud of him and, and lucky that we have him. Uh, United Way of Anderson was also awarded for their work in preventing teen pregnancy. That program has been a measurable success with some schools seeing as much as a 70% drop in teen pregnancy since they started those programs. And again, they've become a national model for other teen pregnancy prevention programs. So um, kudos to Carol Burdett and her folks over at the United Way. And speaking of health, there's a free health clinic set for Saturday at the Anderson campus of Tri-County Technical College from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Free screenings, vaccinations, and a lot of other stuff. So you can check that out. And summer has been a busy time for the counties, towns, and cities. And this week I caught up with Williamston Mayor Rocky Burgess to talk about some of the things going on in Williamston. Summer's about half over, and one of the, the biggest things in the summer here, and, and one of the biggest things in the whole area really is uh, some of the events coming up here. Let, let's talk about the, what's coming up here in Williamston here between now and mid-September. Sure, so we just finished up our annual 4th of July celebration. Uh, big hit, a lot of people came from all around, and then uh, uh, this past weekend we finished up with the Skylatics Music Festival. We had all sorts of folks come. Uh, and perform they say indie music which stands for independent artists so we had folks of uh, all genres of music come out uh, had loads and loads of fun my personal favorite we actually had a cigar, mobile cigar lounge um, set up in the park so uh, that was a big hit as well um, we've got four Saturday in August that's our next event will be the spring water festival uh, that's obviously our largest and our premier festival in the town and we look forward to that again for Saturday in August. People come from all over to that. Oh, Tell I'll, people that haven't been to the Springwater Festival what kind of things they can expect. Sure so you'll have arts and crafts vendors that will be uh, over on what we refer to as the Lander property which is uh, where the wedding gazebo is in the park and then you'll have um, all sorts of food trucks come in um, all different sorts of food. You're going to have your bouncy houses stuff like that the kids rides that will be over by the uh, what will soon to be the new pickleball courts and you'll have artists performing on stage, uh, gospel stage as well as um, uh, other performing uh, on the amphitheater and I'm not sure who our headliner is this year I haven't been told yet but uh, we're anxiously looking forward to that so it's a it's an all-day event we look forward to folks coming out and again that's our biggest event we have uh, annually so we're looking forward to that the weekend I think or maybe it's the weekend directly following September the 2nd through the 5th We'll also have the hot air fair, which is uh, obviously the hot air balloons. Uh, this will be, I think, our third year hosting that, and uh, we're real excited about it. All proceeds benefit the local Anderson Cancer uh, Society that helps our local residents. So we're looking forward to that. That's always a big event. 
Um, it's probably our most visual event because no matter where you're at in the Tri-City area, you're going to see uh, balloons uh, being launched. And they will have opportunity for folks to come out and do tethered rides as well. So uh, that'll be lots and lots of fun. And that's uh, Angie Stringer that runs uh, that particular event with the Cancer Society. And that last year that brought in huge crowd. It was a massive crowd. And keep in mind, it's not just a one-day event. This is actually a several-day event. Um, so lots of opportunity there to be able to get to see balloons, to get to ride uh, tethered rides, weather permitting. Um, that's one thing that we got to be very careful of is the weather. They can't, since they're not powered, once they go up, they're kind of at the at the mercy of the wind. So if there's uh, if there's even a slight wind that causes it to be unsafe, they'll ground them. So. And no admission charge to either one of those events? No, no, no admission to either one of them. You can obviously come and bring your pocket, pocketbook full of money uh, to be able to uh, to spend money at those events and the, both of those go for a good call. Spring Water Festival, uh, any monies raised are used to, um, to upfit uh, and make improvements in the park, particularly uh, with our Christmas decorations, stuff like that. So we've got new displays uh, at Christmas time. That, that's also coming up pretty soon. Well, speaking of that, you mentioned um, recreation. Uh, what else is going on recreation-wise? You mentioned pickleball courts. What else is going on recreation-wise in Williamston? All right, so today, as a matter of fact, today we actually have one of our uh, 12 and under teams that is uh, competing, I believe, in uh, another state uh, for some, some title for a recreation program. So our recreation program is growing. Um, this year, uh, Palmetto Soccer Club will be taking over uh, our soccer program. And uh, uh, we've got a guy, uh, Jack Dalton, who will be handling it. And he's got a love and a passion for uh, soccer. So we're excited about that, seeing that program grow and uh, be the best that it can be. Um, in addition, you mentioned recreation. We've also got our pickleball course. Now, I know I have talked about this till I'm blue in the face. We have had all sorts of problems getting those pickleball courts uh, into play, and it's been a very expensive project. We, we initially took up the old tennis courts, um, had lots of cracks and a lot, a lot of issues. And once we peeled up that layer of asphalt, it was pretty evident that there was some major soil remediation that needed to be done to the tune of 90, roughly $100,000 worth of soil remediation where they take all this uh, spoiled soil, um, take it out, put down uh, geofabric, and then they come back with um, basically crush runner aggregate, and they do multiple layers and have to compact it to where they have a solid surface by which to pave on that will last us for many years to come. They have to do that during certain temperatures, it's got to be dry, the asphalt plants has got to be running, so there's a lot of different factors um, that contribute to the timeline of when that happens. I am told uh, as of yesterday morning that the, they're on track to pave this month. That is basketball court as well as new pickleball courts. There will be eight courts in Mineral Spring Park. Once it's paved, they will have to let it, allow it to cure for 30 days and then they'll come back and do the acrylic on top of it. So it's more than just a black surface. It'll actually be a, a, a blue and green surface. It'll be beautiful, marked up, ready to play on. Uh, so we're super excited about that. I hope to have that done by uh, Spring Water Festival again. That's the uh, end of August. And it's almost Little League football time too, I guess. It is, yeah. Uh, BJR Recreation Directors gearing up for Little League football. Um, I think they just put out Palmetto Soccer Club for those signups for it too. I'm not sure if they do that once or twice a year, um, but certainly both of those, you know, we all look forward. We're a football community, so we look forward, and baseball, uh, but we certainly look forward to fall coming where we can start uh, visiting our mighty Mustangs over in, uh, uh, at Palmetto High School. That's, that's something we look forward to every year, and our community supports that wholeheartedly. You were talking about the details of the pickleball courts. 
And, and that and other projects too, does your profession, you're a builder and developer, does that help you have a better understanding of how some of these things work? When you see a project, I mean, already knowing building and stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're talking about my background, I'm my personal background. background. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about your background, yeah. So, Remind people what you do. All right, so I, I, want to, I, I do several things. I, uh, I've, I buy and sell real estate properties, um, primarily outside of Williamson, although I do have a few in Williamson. Um, but I'm involved in, in construction, on large construction projects, and we do the voice data access control, um, basically anything low voltage in large commercial buildings, courthouses, federal courthouses, uh, K through 12 market, colleges, universities, just uh, primarily large government facilities. Uh, TTI is one of our customers, um, first quality, Electrolux. So we, we're, we're involved in a whole lot of those large projects where we go and we're there for a year. Um, so my company, it, it's afforded me the opportunity to be able to do things like understand and write a request for proposals. Um, typically, the pickleball course, we would have had to uh, hire an engineering firm to come and write a request for proposals and uh, uh, that would be some additional expense to do that. Um, in this case, I was able to actually take other RFPs, put them together to suit Williamson's overall project and put it out to bid ourselves um, and save some money. So. Um, it's been tremendously helpful, just my little bit, of, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but um, having that background and understanding the terminology of RFP, uh, GSA payment document, those type things has been tremendously helpful for sure. And having contacts too. Um, you know, there's often times where I go, you know what, it would be really nice if we had a light tower. You know what, I know a guy. And so being able to pick up that phone, make that connection, and that guy says, hey, no problem, I'll bring one out there. How much is that going to cost? It didn't cost you a dime. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. It's the least we can do for the city. And a lot of people are real excited about a lot of the things we have going on in Williamston. And with that excitement comes people who are willing to volunteer, willing to make a donation, or willing to take their, their crew out to, to, to help us with a project just like Beaver Dam Baptist Church did with our Veterans Park Bridge. That was something that we don't have the manpower to, to do that major renovation on that, on that thing. So we either got to pay a contractor to do it, or um, you have folks like Beaver Dam, their youth group and their, their men's ministry that come out and give us a hand with it. So it's pretty exciting. I noticed too, we're talking about the park. I noticed coming into Williamson, there's pictures of, it looks like veterans. Yep. Tell me what that, that project is. a very neat project. So uh, Envision Williamson is a separate 501c3 from the town. Um, but they head up a lot of neat things um, that, that, that are important, I think, to our community that help showcase some of the things that our community's got going on. And uh, while they're not an official arm of the city of Williamston, we work in concert with one another to try to try to do some do some good things. One of the things that come, came out of that last year that was tremendously popular was our uh, Christmas time uh, celebration. We had snow out here in front of Town Hall, and literally thousands of people came out um, in one evening for the annual Christmas tree lighting, and we had carriage rides, a lot of neat things. Anyhow, their uh, latest. Um, uh, project was to actually take pictures of veterans, local veterans. Um, they can be uh, still living or deceased and uh, have them put on a banner and you will see banners throughout town there. I think they're getting ready to take them down this week. Um, but during 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, they display those banners uh, with some of our local heroes on it. It has their name and what branch they served in. So it's a way of showcasing we're, our, our community. Our community loves our military. We love our veterans. Um, and it's a way of showcasing, showcasing, highlighting them. Plus, it adds a splash of color throughout town. Um, so we're real excited about that. And that's a project directly through uh, Envision Williamston. If you know of any local person, again, they don't have to be uh, actually Williamston residents, but they have some tie or family member. 
Uh, see Roberta Hamby with uh, Envision Williamston or Call Town Hall and ask for Envision Williamston. They're getting ready to make another order. I think those banners are around $100, so uh, fairly inexpensive way to showcase and highlight your loved one and their service. Since spring, what are some of the new businesses and new things we're seeing, at least here, almost here in Williamson? All right, so since spring, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> I hope you got a little time, Greg. So we just got official notification. We've known about it for a while that Bojangles is, has been looking and they, they have officially closed the property and put out a press release. Um, there will be a Bojangles uh, restaurant going in at the corner of Academy and uh, Main Street here in Williamston, right there by Calvary Baptist Church. Um, so we're excited about that. They're, that's a corner lot and uh, they're going to incorporate their design with our pocket park that we currently have there uh, in, in memorial of, of uh, former deceased town employee Chris Coleman. He died unexpectedly several years ago and the previous administration created a pocket park there in his memory. So uh, they're going to incorporate their overall design of the Bojangles with that pocket park. That'll be a, a feature that uh, will be tied in with the Bojangles. So we're really excited about that. I met with the Ingalls. Everybody's always asked me, what, where are we at with Ingalls? And, and the rumor mill gets going, and when the rumor mill gets going, Lord have mercy, we get all sorts of things. Um, so I, had, uh, I met with their executives and their construction manager uh, the week before I left to go on vacation. So that would have been uh, around the middle of June. And I uh, met with them on site. We went over some of their, their uh, criteria, we went in the conference room, looked at their plans, and their, their plans have changed a little bit, and uh, for the better. They're actually looking to expand their store, uh, their planned store, from uh, an additional 20 foot. Um, uh, so it'll be one of the largest stores, if not the largest, that Ingalls has. Um, they still are on target to, to construct. I think they do three or four Ingalls stores a year, and we're right there in the top three uh, for construction. They could not give me a definitive timeline, um, but they are actively working on um, drawings, renderings, permits from DOT, permits from land disturbance from DHEC. Um, they're actively working on those things as we speak. So um, That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. We haven't had a grocery store in 20 years and, and what I do know about this Ingalls, this Ingalls will have um, a Starbucks in it, it will have a Boar's Head, it will have the Asian restaurant, I believe they call it Chopsticks, it will have the full salad bars and all the, all the stuff you would expect from one of your larger and newer Ingalls. In addition, it will also have a fuel station um, out front where the old Williamson City Hall used to be. Um, so there, it's going to be a com complete revamp of that shopping center. They will keep, Ingalls does own now the, the Rain Zone Main MVP Pizza uh, little shopping center complex. They will maintain that. Uh, they will keep that and that's not going anywhere, but the, the rest of the property will be completely made over. And uh, I did ask them, I said, has can you tell me has the labor shortages and co you know things related to COVID supply chain is, is that that hasn't altered your plans in any way? So no, it hasn't altered our plans. Obviously, it slowed us down a little bit. Uh, we'd like to be going a lot faster than what we are, um, but but uh, we're we're on target and we're we're committed to to Williamson. So that's super exciting. And again, a lot of people, you know, they hear that oh Ingalls is coming and they've closed and they're expecting dirt to turn tomorrow. And unfortunately, that is not the way things work. Um, it's slower than what I would like to see um, because once a, a big announcement like that's been made, I'm ready to get going myself. I, you know, do y'all need any help? I'll go get a tractor and help you. Um, but that's not quite the way things work. Um, so but we're, we're on target and we're very excited about that. Uh, a lot of interest going on in Williamson. I get calls from developers every single day. Didn't Little Caesars open since Yeah, last Little time Caesars we has, has built a new store um, here on Main Street. 
um, it's been a bit big hit. If you go by there anytime, you'll see cars lined up um, uh, in their parking lot. Um, trying to think of other new businesses we have coming that, that have committed already. Um, obviously, Maple Bakery, you know, they came here not long ago and they have they've absolutely killed it. They have the best coffee and and uh, uh, bakery goods that you could possibly imagine. Cupcakes, uh, breakfast. Uh, it's unbelievable. Been a big, big hit in Williamston. What else would you like to see come to Williamson? I mean, you've got a grocery store in place now and a bakery and all these places. Well, I, I think that our community has asked for several. They, they want smaller things, uh, coffee shop. Obviously, we'd love to have a big steakhouse, but Rains on Main, they're killing it as well. They're, they're having problems with staffing uh, just like everybody else is, and they're, they're not even open on Monday. They're taking Mondays off just to let their staff have a break. Um, so they've done really, really well. Uh, super excited to have them in, in town. We have got a lot of good restaurants that we're, we're super excited to have. A um, lot of great options. And then in addition to that, we're bringing in food trucks. We have at least two or three food trucks a week. Chick-fil-A's been out here uh, generally two days a week in Mineral Spring Park. And uh, that's also been a big hit. The first day, I think they sold out two or three times. They had to had to run back to Easley, I think, and, uh, and reload this, this truck back up and bring back out. So there is a huge, huge market in Williamston for prepared Roughly $260,000 a year um, on test 2% on prepared foods. And uh, if you do the math, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's in excess of $13 million uh, of eating out. I'm convinced that nobody in Williamston or the Tri-City area cooks. Everybody comes out to eat at our, at our fine establishments and uh, we're fortunate to have those establishments. We hope to be able to build on those establishments. I, I still think we're losing some market uh, share in prepared foods to Anderson, Greenville, and other places. And so our job is to try to figure out a way to make Williamston a destination. And we're working hard on that, Greg. Um, I fully expect in the next next several years, you're gonna see people that, that ordinarily would have no reason to come to Williamston. We have a lot of amenities that not a lot of people know about, but what we don't have, we don't have that um, Swamp Rabbit Trail or that Falls Park that, that really, really is a, is a uh, draw from outside of the Tri-City area. I think you're gonna see that start coming to fruition in the next several years where people go, you know what, um, let, let's go to Williamston today on a Saturday. Um, and there be things to do that are that are uh, that will draw people from outside of our city into our city to to see just exactly how special we really are. Our town is unbelievably special, and we're unbelievably blessed with a lot of amenities. And you're working on trail. I mean, you mentioned the trail, Swamp Road Trail. We're working very very hard on the trails uh, trail system. Um, we expect the, the Brock Lane should be started any day now. We did the final permitting. Uh, as a matter of fact, I signed off on on the DHEC permitting. Uh, last week, so we expect to see some dirt turn pretty soon. And the Brock Lane uh, will actually have a trail system that will go across uh, William Street, connect over to Veterans Park, and continue to connect onto our trails. And then phase two will take from the current water treatment plant, which again, we've got a lot of interest in that too, that we're expecting to hear some proposals, possibly even as early as tonight in executive session or council meeting from developers who have cash on hand, ready to invest in Williamston. So we're really excited about that. It would it would take the trail from the mineral uh, from our uh, our uh, old water treatment facility uh, to the current place where it stops at this gravel, and then subsequently continue on uh, along the creek, uh, along Big Creek uh, to Ida Tucker, and then would in turn uh, interface with our um, school district uh, sidewalk system. We're that close to Ida Tucker. It wouldn't be that that big of a deal. To, I don't think. 
to try to incorporate that to where you could get out and walk Mineral Spring Park and ultimately end up at the Williamston Reservoir. Um, you know, the dam is right there very, very close and I could see us putting a kayak launch point or something like that in there so our residents could actually enjoy um, what's currently considered a private lake. Um, you know, there's no, it's not used for water anymore as far as drinking water, uh, but it, it really is a beautiful uh, body of water that is located partially within our jurisdiction um, to where it would be really, really nice to be able to go out and enjoy a kayak trip uh, on a Saturday or any day of the week, really. And I assume you've already passed your budget. What are some of the highlights of this year's budget? So this year's budget, um, we had a uh, small increase uh, cost of living raise for all town employees. That and, and a lot of people don't understand, when you, even if you do a small increase, by the time you tally it all up uh, with your FICA, your retirement, all that good stuff, it turns into some, some pretty, pretty major funding. Um, but we had a really, really tight budget this year, and our council worked uh, extremely hard uh, in doing that. We're looking at the... Uh, uh, we, our efforts have really been focused on recruitment and retaining our existing employees, particularly with police officers. Now, um, they're, they're all over the board. You can go to work at DPS and, and make $55,000 a year starting out. Well, obviously, I can't compete with that, but um, we, we've worked really, really hard with that. We do have a balanced budget. We went in initially with a, a several hundred thousand dollar budget deficit based on the proposals. And uh, we ended up going through, I think, three readings total on that budget and whittling it down to where we're living within our means, but we're still not, we're still providing that same level of service that our residents and our community expects to be able to receive from, from the city. So uh, no major uh, things, there's no big major building projects or anything like that uh, involved in the budget. And should something come along, then we could certainly do the budget amendment. But as of right now, we're, we're basically maintaining our operations and uh, tighten our belt a little bit and hoping to be able to see some of this growth, quality growth, that will increase revenues. Uh, our expenditures are just like your home budget. Your, your, that loaf of bread that you bought for a dollar and a quarter is no longer a dollar and a quarter. The same thing's applicable uh, with, with town operations. That piece of PVC pipe that we would buy to put in the ground for water or sewer um, obviously cost double what it, what it did you know, just, just a few short months ago. So uh, we're feeling the strain on that too. And what we're hoping for, again, is that quality growth uh, will help sustain us uh, during that time, uh, during these difficult times where things are tremendously expensive with inflation. You mentioned earlier hospitality tax. How important is that to the budget, hospitality tax plan? <clears throat> so I'll be honest with you, had I been on council at the time the hospitality tax um, was discussed, talked about, and implemented, um, I probably would not have been in favor of it. Um, but in, in this seat, I've actually learned quite a bit. And you, you know as well as I do, with Act 388, which caps um, how much you can raise taxes, there is no way on God's green earth we could ever keep up and raise taxes fast enough or quick enough to continue to maintain our operations um, as, we, as we were doing. Keep in mind, things like the park, upkeep, maintenance, um, all that was prior to hospitality tax came out of general fund. Um, and so hospitality tax was passed way prior to me being on council, but I'm gonna tell you, Greg, it has been a blessing to be able to keep up those amenities um, because again, we would not be able to do the things we're doing right now. Uh, pickleball course, basketball course, keeping up Brookdale Park, re, you know, putting new basketball goals in there, building restrooms at, 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 at uh, Brookdale Park, um, putting electrical upgrades in Mineral Spring Park, having our youth recreation program, none of that would be possible um, without the hospitality tax. So what it did is it freed up funds um, 
uh, now we pay for a lot of those uh, those things or parks and recreation with hospitality tax and no longer do we have to pay for it through uh, general fund. So that free general fund up to be able to continue to pay for these things that we just wouldn't be able to afford had we not had it. So hospitality tax has been a big, big blessing to to the town of Williamson. And, and, and I'll tell you, I know the county's talked about a hospitality tax at least twice. Um, I think that has potential to be a very, very good thing um, if the county residents decide they want those amenities, they want those parks, they want a county recreation program or something like that. But I, I know there has to be a plan in place of how to spend, an equitable plan. And when I say equitable, that means all the money's not spent in Powdersville or at Green Pond. Uh, I know those are big, um, big areas and focus of concern. Um, but everybody would be paying into that, including Williamston and others. Um, I think it's possible for that to pass at some point in time but they have to have a plan. County Council has to have a plan and get buy-in from the community and that's one thing that I don't think we've had yet is a good solid plan to where everybody knew where those funds were going to be spent and how, how they were going to be spent. I know we talk about this a lot but how important is Mineral Spring Waters Park to Williamson? Listen, the town was literally formed around Mineral Spring Park. That is our number one amenity in the town and that is what we are known for. Every municipality has its own unique identity and I think that our, our identity begins with Mineral Spring Park and then we capitalize on that um, and then expand on out to other things that, that help make up our community and our identity. Um, it, it, it's, it's, that park is probably one of the most visited parks anywhere around. Any day you can come out here and you can see buses of people. It might be Anderson 5, it could be Anderson 4, it could be Greenville County Schools. We see just tons and tons of people come out and enjoy that amenity that, that, we, that we're glad to be able to offer to the community uh, and surrounding areas. It's a great place to be able to come hang out. Um, it's a great place. It's a safe place. Um, we're tremendously fortunate to have that park. Tremendously fortunate. Anything else coming on yes. between now and September we hadn't talked about? So we got a lot of good stuff. We talk, you know, you, I don't know if we, you and I have discussed about ARPA funding. Um, so <clears throat> during the COVID, uh, uh, issue, COVID uh, pandemic, the federal government um, issued what they call ARPA funds or Americans for Recovery Act. I think, I don't, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it stands for. And basically those initial uh, tranche of funds could only be used for water and sewer, basically infrastructure projects. Well, <clears throat> if you've been around Williamston uh, at any time at all, you know there is no shortage of absolutely necessary infrastructure projects. We're an older town. We were, we were incorporating the 1800s, so we've been around a while, and unfortunately some of our water and infrastructure, sewer infrastructure, has been in the ground for a while as well. So <clears throat> once we found out our council exactly uh, what we were expected to be getting, um, it turned out to be $2.1 million, um, which is a lot of money for a small town to come in, but you have to understand too that these projects are very, very expensive projects. So we council sat down and we created a list of prioritized along with our department heads and our, our uh, city engineer of where are high priority areas at and what we could best use those funds for. Um, that came under our interim final rule um, that we had $2.1 million to spend. Well, since we received our first tranche, uh, you receive half of it this year, half of it next year, which is now in 2022, we received the other half this year. I uh, received half of it in 2021. 
um, there has been amendments to the interim final rule. So technically, we could completely unrestrict that $2.1 million and build, I don't know, uh, a roller coaster in the park. Um, the council has decided that is not the best use of those funds. We're sticking to our guns and sticking to the immediate use and need, which again is infrastructure. We have the opportunity to do something that we will never, ever, ever likely have the chance to do again. Um, and that's really make a difference in our infrastructure. If we're going to continue to grow, we're still going to have quality growth, we're going to need that infrastructure to be able to, to, to continue that. So my objective has been to try to leverage those funds as much as possible with other grant funding sources. A prime example is um, our Mill Village water lines. Those things have been in the ground since the 30s uh, and possibly even prior to that. That is a long time. The useful life of those pipes that are in the ground have long been gone. Uh, we have just never had the ability, uh, funding-wise, to be able to upgrade those uh, lines that are problematic for all of us all the time. Um, so we had our engineer do the design and it came out to be about $1.5 to replace those water lines and upgrade those water lines. Um, and so we, we, after all of our projects, we didn't have quite enough in ARPA funds to be able to do it, um, so we applied for grants. I'm happy to report that the IRA, uh, RIA, uh, Rural Infrastructure Authority has awarded us 444000 toward that project. Um, again, that was a blessing, an absolute blessing that was very, very helpful, but it still didn't, didn't uh, allow us to be able to do that with the funds that we had. Um, I came in this weekend and I had a letter on my desk from the governor uh, informing me that we had also been awarded 750000 of Community Development Block Grant um, to, to fund that, that project as well. So we're taking those two sources of funding as well as 300,000 of our ARPA funds, and we're completely redoing the uh, infrastructure on the Mill Village. That is huge, Greg. That is a big, big deal, and that's something we have never, ever, ever uh, been, even thought we'd ever be able to do until now. So um, uh, that'll set us up for the next 50 years. I just want to say, the future is uh, yeah, totally that, changed by that. Absolutely. That, that's that's, that, that's a, uh, uh, something that will set us up for 50 years or more, and I think I may have told you earlier in our previous interviews that uh, our water treatment facility, the county owned 300,000 gallons of capacity. Our, our plant is, is rated at a million gallons a day, and uh, we, we have times we've come pretty close to that, and uh, uh, to the 700,000 that we have, and county had 300,000, well, we needed that 300,000. At some point in time in the next five to 10 years, had we not gotten that, um, we would have ended up putting a you know moratorium on new construction. DHEC would have mandated that we we put a moratorium on new taps into our sewer system. Well, um, that's not good for the county. That's not good for the city of Williamston. Um, we need that growth. Again, I stress quality growth, not just throwing throwing row homes up. Um, what we're looking at is quality growth. So I, I talked with uh, Rusty Burns, Cindy Wilson, and several other council members, and we developed a plan together to whereby the, the county would never ever use those, those that capacity. And we were able to purchase that capacity from the county. Um, and again, that sets us up for the next 50 years uh, for growth without having to expand our plant. That's something that we could not afford to do at the current rates we have now. So, um, we're, you know, several folks have uh, approached us or several entities rather about the possibility of purchasing our water and or sewer uh, infrastructure. There, there's people that there are companies that do this uh, pretty regularly. That would be the last thing I would want to do, uh, simply because once we sell those those assets, there would be money that would come in, immediate fund funds. But we no longer have control of our own destiny. 
um, and, and haven't been able to set our own rates, uh, elected uh, individuals that live in the town, that pay the taxes in the town, that pay water and sewer bills, they're able to objectively look at this and determine what is actual need versus what is a want. And uh, we've done a very, very good job. I'm proud of our council, proud of our community at being able to keep those rates down. Um, we've absorbed several rate increases, particularly just from uh, Anderson Joint Regional, we, we, we purchased water from. We've been able to absorb uh, about 18% collectively in the past seven years without passing those rates increases on to our customers. And you say, well, how do you do that? It's pretty simple. We, we have that growth that every time somebody taps onto our, our line, that's an additional roughly $30 a month in water that really didn't cost us anything extra because the infrastructure is there in place. Um, so uh, that's helped us maintain those low rates and keep them low. And as long as I'm mayor, we're going to do everything within our power to try to, try to make Williamson attractive and affordable. And speaking of that, how about new housing? What kind of new housing starts are you seeing? Um, there's a couple that I can't talk about right this minute. I'm under a, a non-disclosure agreement. There's, there's been some uh, uh, recent discussion about potential annexation of some, some, some property um, just outside of the city, which would be three to 400 homes um, that would be coming into the city. Again, I can't discuss any particulars with that now, uh, right this very minute, but we know we've got the subdivision going in on minor. Street, I believe that's 30 homes. You have Mahaffey, which again, that we just did the final sign off on it. On there's homes uh, going on Mahaffey and East First Street, uh, West First Street, and then you also have Brock Lane, which is a total of 64 and in uh, a subdivision there. So that's just what's on the books. That doesn't count the onesie twosies, that doesn't count the, the guy who sells his you know couple lots and they build three or four houses on it. Um, but we, if you'll notice in, in all of our agendas, pretty much every agenda, you will see a rezoning. Uh, request that that comes from our planning commission. They they do the initial uh, assessment of it. They can they're constantly looking to determine. Okay, there's growth fixing to happen here, so it's inevitable that there will be growth here. How do we control that growth and make it what the community wants? So they've been very very active in um, uh, helping to ensure that we have very quality growth, uh, not just row homes being thrown up with no uh, with no input from from the city. Well, I guess we'll catch up again in September. Sounds good. I look forward to it. And if you've missed any of the interviews with the other mayors uh, there in the podcast over the last few weeks, you can catch up with those to see what's going on in the individual towns. Uh, Rocky was the last one, and he is doing a good job, and he is a hands-on mayor. It's not unusual to see him out there, like he said, on a tractor or, or looking at the sites himself and working on stuff. It is hard to believe, but the public school teachers will be back in the classroom soon. Uh, many of them are already setting up their classrooms as another reminder that there are a lot of teachers who spend a great deal of their time and own resources off the clock working on a better experience for their students. So we congratulate them as they get ready to go back to school. And in the process of all this, I've been interviewing the, all five county superintendents and have caught up with three so far. Uh, first, Tom Wilson, the superintendent of District 5, Anderson's largest district, and he's been there for the last 10 years, offered some insights on the past school year and updates on what to expect in his schools in 2022-2023. Let's start, let's start with last year. It was the last year with uh, hiccups from COVID and stuff. How did this past year go District 5? Well, in many ways, last year was harder than the year before with COVID. Uh, you know, when we started back in the fall of 20, um, because you know, we'd given incentives for the vaccine and for employees and for high school students and, you know, a large number of kids took advantage of that. 
Uh, but then around December of last year, we saw huge spikes in COVID. And actually, uh, Martin Luther King weekend, uh, the Thursday before we got out for school, we had about 40% of our kids out with COVID, either quarantining or with COVID, large number of employees. So we decided to shut down that whole week. And fortunately, it seemed to let us, you know, catch our breath. We came back and the numbers continue to go down throughout the year. Now, I know, you know, we're still going to have COVID. I had it spring break and I was boosted and vaccinated and, and it was a, you know, a minor illness, but um, it's still around. And I think it's something we're going to be dealing with for probably years to come. Did it affect scores or student grades or anything last year, all that up and down? Uh, it was a little bit of both. Now, although our summer school, that our kids came back for summer school, the numbers look very, very positive. And we think that, you know, we were kind of catching up from that bad COVID year in 20 when they were totally out. And um, so th that's a positive sign. We, we, we hope we don't have a lot of illness this year and kind of get things back on track. We had a lot of high school kids that had to, you know, uh, complete makeup work uh, that were still behind. Uh, but the summer was very, very positive on our, on our remediation and catching kids up. And what kind of growth are you looking at this year? Uh, and also, how do you count that? Because I see the number of students in District 5, and then I see the number of proposed housing units. Is that factored in to, when you all start thinking about? Well, actually, we're, our growth is pretty flat right now. Uh, we don't anticipate any major, major growth in the next few years. Looking at those houses, I think we average, you know, we calculate one half a student per household of a new home that's built. Um, so we'll just have to see, you know, we that's still six or seven hundred students though. When you look at the number of houses going up, yeah, they don't all go to one place, uh, which is a good thing. You know, we're very fortunate now. We don't have any mobile classrooms. Uh, we have room. Uh, some of our schools have a lot more room than others. Um, you know, you always can rezone kids to, you know, that's the most cost effective way. You know, the, the worst thing you want is empty classrooms in one school and crowded, not enough classrooms in another. <clears throat> but rezoning, you know, the, it has its own fleas that go with that dog, you know, because you know, it creates, people don't want to move schools or whatever. So, you know, there are a lot of different options. Fortunately, we're not there yet. You know, it's on our radar uh, down the road, but we don't anticipate any major concerns in the next few years. Remind me of some of the upgrades and projects and capital projects for the past year and then the ones that are coming up this year y'all got planned. Well, obviously we're in this new building downtown that uh, we renovated and bought the First Citizens Bank building, we were able to move in in May. And um, there's a little over 20 people in this building, primarily uh, administration and all the finance. So we're excited about this. We feel like this helps downtown. Uh, we hope it will spur more downtown growth because that's good for Anderson. 
Uh, our other big projects that we're doing right now is the science labs at Westside. Uh, it's about a $6 million project. Uh, we're doing that. That was delayed because of the roof collapse early on, but we feel like we could be in there by, um, by September. It's the projected date right now. But again, you know, that's a lot can change. We've got a lot of general maintenance things going on right now. There's some major work going on at McCants with some drainage issues. If you ride by, you'll see a bunch of, you know, dirt and ditches being built. That's to create some uh, improved drainage there. Um, other than that, um, other than just general maintenance projects that our our principals kind of wish list and improving schools painting and some paving and striping parking lots uh, the McCann, uh, excuse me the west side is the major project now you mentioned McCants. at one point there was a talk of building a new McCants somewhere is that still somewhere on the table or no not right now we've you know we've put a lot of money into that school with roof HVAC several millions of dollars have been put in there. We, we enhance security uh, because all those buildings are separated uh, where people actually you can but they have to be buzzed in each building. So we're um, uh, you know for this for the, for the near future uh, or the short-term future you know we don't anticipate any needs at McCants. Um, you know we replaced all the bleachers in the gym. Um, you know it's um, we put a lot of money into it. You just passed your budget. Give some people some of the highlights of this year's budget from the district. Well, the biggest highlight in the budget is, is, as I say, we're going to compensate those who, those that instruct. And our teachers, our starting teacher salary will be $45,100. Uh, we're the highest in Anderson County. Uh, we're actually, when you look at the per day, uh, contract days for teachers were higher than Greenville County. Uh, we think we're probably going to be in the top five in the state. Uh, my goal is to have the highest paid teachers in the state and our board supports that. Uh, we know we got to take one bite at the apple at a time to get there but this was a huge step for us and teachers are getting uh, you have 4,780 to the base plus a step Non-teachers are getting, <coughs> excuse me, are getting. And the a, steps are based on numbers of years. Yeah, okay. uh, uh, steps. Um, then everybody, everybody will get a step. Non-teachers will get a four percent raise, and everybody's going to earn a step because we're adding a step. We're adding step twenty-seven. So, for most people, non-teachers, it's going to be a four to six percent raise. Our bus drivers are getting a raise based on the state bus salary. We were already way ahead of that. So it really is going to equate to about a 4%. Although we raised bus driver salaries significantly in the fall, our cafeteria workers are getting a 4% plus a dollar an hour raise. Um, so that will put them equal with our custodial staff which we raised last fall as well. So we think we're competitive uh, salary-wise. Um, 
But again, whatever you pay good people is not enough. And I've always said what you pay incompetent people is too much. So our goal is to take care of the, you know, hire good people, take care of them, and people that are not doing a good job or that are incompetent need to move on. You been able to find enough good teachers locally? And right now we've got about eight vacancies, um, as I checked yesterday. So we're, you know, we're still looking. There's still, um, we think by the start of school we'll be, we'll be good to go. Uh, there's several options we can do. We can put teachers on extended day to pick up another class. You know, we'll be ready for school on, in August, August 16th. Any new faces in leadership, principals, assistant principals, people will notice in the schools? The biggest change, uh, Brenda Kelly is going to be assistant superintendent for instruction. Uh, Trip Dukes is moving into more dealing with our strategic planning. Our, uh, we got a Cognia visit coming up, which is our accreditation this year, working with our data, uh, uh, maintenance of all our student data, working with principals. So we kind of uh, reorg that. But that's the main change to the leadership team. As far as new... So Brenda's going to be... Yeah, Brenda be assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction. Robin Gay, who was a principal at Nevitt Forest, and was working in our Title I last year, will be our Director of Elementary Instruction. Kelly Elrod, who was principal at McCants, has moved into uh, Director of Middle School Instruction. And then Sherry Martin works with our Secondary Instruction. Also, um, we have several new principals. Some have moved around. Tana Maroney moved from Cal, excuse me, moved from Concord to Calhoun because Ann Seff retired. And then Gary Brugel, who was really working with Varennes and Homeland Park, is moving to Concord. And then Homeland Park and Varennes will have their individual principals. And then um, uh, Stephanie Radford was promoted principal at uh, McCants. She was assistant principal there for um, uh, Kelly Elrod. As you know, we repurposed South Fant, and Anthony Ware was principal there. He'll be working with Robin Gay in our elementary instruction, primarily with our 3K and 4K schools, so our students. So those are the big changes. Uh, we got several new assistant principals at different schools. Um, but we had probably less turnover than we've had in the past. Um, you know, we've got several, um, obviously several administrators that can retire today, but fortunately they, they, they're not because I certainly don't want to replace them. I have to replace them. The other big position that we're hiring is a director of school safety and security. We've had a position there, but I want to hire someone with law enforcement background. We've met with the chief of police Stewart, we went with Sheriff. We'll still have our SROs. Uh, this position will not supervise the SROs. He, he or she will work with the Sheriff's Department, the, the City Police Department, our principals to uh, have a cohesive plan on school safety. Um, we're, we're We've got some good candidates we've got lined up to interview. They all have law enforcement backgrounds. 
One has been was lo local law enforcement, not local, but in where he's from, and then he was with Secret Service. Um, several of them have been. Another one was with Secret Service. So we feel like we've got a good cadre of candidates. We want to build that to a division that's focused on ensuring everything we can for school safety. Um, where they'll look at evacuation plans, school safety issues, uh, our camera systems, our technology, you know, risk management, everything to do with, with uh, doing everything in our power to ensure we're making every reasonable effort to, to have safe campuses. He'll be on board by fall? That's our hope. He'll be here, um, you know, by, by August. And, um, you know, it's time that we build a division around school safety, even though we have SROs, then they do a great job. Uh, we have a great relationship with the sheriff and the chief of police. Um, but we need someone in the house that has that credential, plus that, that um, as, as we say, that street credit with law enforcement, that they know this person's been in my shoes. They know what it's like. And it takes a special person that can work with all these different entities and, and, in a, uh, a partnership way. Any news or upgrades in athletics this year? No, we've lost some coaches, some assistant coaches, which is we always do, uh, which is, you know, you, people are wanting to hire our people. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're uh, excited about both programs. I think in the fall everything will be gearing up soon, band and cross country and football and all those other fall sports. Uh, we're, we're making progress on our cross country facility with the Y. Uh, we hope to have everything where we can run there in the fall of 23, um, as we hope, but they're making progress with there. Um, you know, we've run into some issues like you do any project of that nature with uh, infrastructure and water and, uh, you know, technology that will be on that cross-country facility. but. Uh, we've enjoyed working with the Y and John Glenn as the general contractor. But it's going to be a nice venue once it's done, and it will generate a lot of revenue for Anderson County. And you mentioned downtown. There's another building planned too, right? Yeah, we're working on plans for that now. Nothing's, you know, there's no timeline or anything set. Um, and, you know, there's other things down the road that, that I personally hope we can build. I hope we can build a swim center. Uh, I've talked about that with the board. Um, I think it's needed. Uh, we had kids this summer. You know, if you if you can swim, you can't really comprehend this. We had third graders at our summer camps, our IROC camps that partners with the United Way and the Y that they, they had swimming lessons. And we had third graders that didn't even know how to hold their breath on the water, which is a scary thought. If they fell into a, a pond, they fell into something. So, you know, and, and, I've, and I've expressed this with the board that we need a swim center. Uh, we have kids that the first time they see Lake Hartwell, they think it's the ocean. You know, they've just never been exposed to it. 
And it's a shame that living this close to such large bodies of water, there's nowhere for kids really to learn how to swim other than the why. You know, when you and I grew up here, you could go to the rec center and swim. Elks Club. The Elks Club, the rec center. And, um, um, you know, so that that's really a dream of mine that I'll be talking with the board in the future. But I think it'll be well received by the community. And, um, and it's well and it's very much needed. Any other goals and challenges that you and the board have identified coming into the school year that y'all want to kind of see happen? Well, I think like every year in public education, public education tends to get the fallout of what's going on politically. And, you know, nationwide, I can't ever remember a time in my lifetime we've been more divided. It's almost like a philosophy that we can multiply our support by dividing things, whether it's, you know, everybody chooses sides, whether it's Roe v. Wade, whether it's uh, vaccinations, whether it's the mask, whether it's uh, the election was stolen, the election was fair. Everything gets divided up among camps, and we've got to avoid that in public education. We're here about educating kids, teaching them you know, the lessons of civics and what the Constitution means and what it gives us. And we need to stay out of partisan politics, whether it's on one side or the other. Uh, and I'm going to stress that with our teachers. We're about taking care of students, treating them right, teaching them the best we can, and let them become educated citizens to sort out all this nonsense that we're dealing with nationwide because... Um, Are civics still a part of the curriculum? I mean... Yeah, yeah, and you know, we teach U.S. history, you teach about the Founding Fathers, you teach about the Constitution and, you know, the Bill of Rights and all the way, it's blended all the way through. Um, and, you know, we, we just gotta stay focused on what our mission is and, um, uh, and ensure our kids understand the value of this country and and even with all its warts and and blemishes we're still the greatest country on the face of the earth but we've got to make sure we keep that and you know when you see things going on uh, you wonder can we keep that but all we can do is do what we can in Anderson District 5 and where our kids grow up to be good citizens and understand there's a process when you don't like something to deal with it and try to change it. Any other goals or challenges that you and the board have identified for the year or so ahead? No, you know, we're certainly concerned about what's going to go on with a recession. The economy, uh, that's always an issue you're concerned about. Uh, we feel like we're in great financial shape. Uh, with a strong fund balance. The sales tax is still strong. Um, you know, the numbers are still coming up higher each month than they were the preceding year. So we hope that trend continues. Um, and we just hope that, that things level out, particularly with, you know, the stock market and what's going on there. And, um, you know, of course, we don't live in a, we don't live on an island anymore. You know, what goes on in Europe and Ukraine affects us. 
uh, around the world. So, um, you know, we just we we pray that that wise people will lead and and do the right thing for this country, and uh, not for partisan politics. You said before probably the best thing a parent can do for their students to get to know the teachers, and I know y'all have communication vehicles in place in every classroom. What's the best way a parent can do that? Well, one of the things I would advise parents to do is make sure you meet your child's teacher face-to-face because it's easier, and I realize some parents can't. They're working two jobs, doing whatever, but where a teacher knows, you know, a, a parent of a child, where a counselor knows, particularly when you get into high school, um, and, and the principal knows you, you know, and um, that's a lot more effective than just firing emails. Uh, you know, a lot of times face-to-face -face is the best way to solve problems. But again, you know, we get a lot of emails from parents and I get them and I'll say, look, I'll be glad to meet with you to try to solve the problem. And usually when we can sit down, we can reach consensus on what the problem is and try to resolve it. Uh, but my advice to parents is, you know, get to know your kid's teacher, get to know your, your child's principal, and um, be involved as much as you can. Um, but, you know, I realize some parents are having to work, they can't be there, and we understand. And you'll have a regular communication, every, every classroom sends home communication. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think we send too much, where parents are like, I can't read all this stuff. So we've tried to, like, don't inundate them where it becomes that I'm not reading that because I get it every day. Um, so, and I'm sure when I send emails out to all my staff sometimes, they probably like, yeah, I'm not delete or whatever, but um, but just really face to face and um, get to know them. You mentioned counselors. Have y'all done anything to increase mental health awareness and counseling moving into this year? <clears throat> We've added um, some mental health counselors they will all be housed at um, South Ant, along with our social workers. We've added several social workers the last few years. Uh, they'll all be working with Dr. Vita New uh, at that uh, South Ant facility. Um, and, you know, they're, they're assigned to different schools to work with kids and work with parents. Um, and we also you know, can make referrals. We can tell parents, no, this is where you can go get extra help. You know, we're not clinical psychologists, you know, but we, there's a lot of nonprofit agencies and state agencies that can provide support to parents that are dealing with issues with mental health with their children or themselves. And um, we want to make that available to them. Are teachers receiving training? What? to watch for in a kid that might be having I mean, is that Yeah, a lot of that kind of things are discussed in our pre-planning. Same with um, bloodborne pathogens and school safety upgrades and, and you know, that we go through each year kind of, um, um, you know, as we kick off each school year. And when will y'all kick off the school year this year? August 16th is first day of school. And then our back to school function, uh, our convocation is um, 
August 11th at nine o'clock at New Spring, which is a you know we haven't had one in, since 19, uh, you know since COVID, so a lot of our teachers have never experienced it, and you know it's always a fun day. We recognize employees of the year, different categories, all the way from custodian to food service to clerical to teacher of the year. Um, you know, I kind of bring a an opening greeting for the school year and uh, then we have a big luncheon for all our support staff, custodians, bus drivers, cafeteria employees. Uh, there in Hannah we'll have a luncheon for them and start ready to start school. How many years you been here now? Start my tenth year, which is hard to believe. And uh, I think this is my forty start my forty fifth year in public schools, so um, but I'm fortunate to have a great school board and been fortunate to work uh, you know here for the last ten years and proud of what we've accomplished. It's been a team effort and all the things that we've seen change and um, you know and and the board's been very supportive and you know we've had challenges and you know and uh, when you face adversity it either separates you or brings you, you closer together whether that's a family or a team or a school board or administrative team so I look forward to a great year and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully a, a COVID-less year and a more normal which I, I feel like you know we'll Hopefully COVID will be no more than annual flu that we see. Yeah, their numbers, I don't have the exact numbers with me. I know their numbers have increased um, where we feel like we're really, you know, at the level we, we thought we would be. Uh, our programs are, some programs are a lot better than others. Uh, and we've always, we're evaluating, did, you know, what programs do we need to add? What programs do are not going to make it. I mean, because kids take what they want to take, and um, but it, it's doing well. Dr. Couch has done a great job there uh, because when you start a program from scratch like that, particularly combining uh, three school districts, we've seen a lot of growth from uh, District Four um, from their students coming. We've seen those numbers increase quite a bit. Uh, of course, our numbers, um, Hannah and Westside, actually Hannah has more students there than Westside, um, which, you know, we thought Westside would have more just because of location, but, uh, you know, of course, we bus students there. Those numbers have gone up. Our uh, Southwood Academy of the Arts, those numbers are real strong uh, with the high school uh, electives. Uh, so we're, you know, we're fortunate that our students can take classes really on high school kids on three campuses. Their home school, AIT, and Southwood. And some of them do. Uh, and then some of them are at AIT, they may be at Southwood and at Tri-County. You know, they maybe never be on the home school. So it's, uh, high school is a different element than it was 20 years ago. You know, back in the day, you went and spent the whole day there, and 
you know, when I was in high school, well, all that's changed. And we like that, you know, where kids can graduate with college credit, saves their parents money when they decide to go to college, if they decide. So, um, but AIT's been really positive. Dr. Couch has done a great job getting partnerships, bringing in a lot of money to support those programs there. And we have a great partnership with Anderson University with their engineering program, where they actually use our facility in the afternoons or evenings, you know, when it's not being used by us. And then in turn, uh, Anderson University provides a lot of resources to us as well. And then Superintendent Robbie Benneker at District 1, the uh, county's second largest school district. It's also the fastest growing. There's a lot going on with that. And he talked to me about the challenges of that growth and looking ahead to the upcoming school year and in our interview this week. This is home. You've been here a long time. Tell people how long you've been involved in this district. Sure. This, this is my 32nd year in education, my 32nd year in, in Anderson 1. I, I started as a, a science teacher in Anderson 1 back in uh, 1990 and just kind of rose through the ranks, became an assistant principal and principal at, at a high school uh, and, and then became the uh, director of secondary education, assistant superintendent of administration, then, then superintendent. What was this district like when you started as a teacher here? You know, this this has always been a phenomenal district, always a great place to work, always a, um, a small town, small family kind of kind of feel um, to it. I, I think the biggest thing that, that's changed in the district is really just the 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 growth in the district. Um, we we had uh, right out about seven thousand students in in the district when uh, when when I was teaching, and um, we're we're up to. 10,600, we'll, we'll probably be at 11,000 um, either this year or, or, or the next. And, and that's, that's a big difference when you have uh, that many more students, which require, of course, a, you know, a, a comparable staff as well. And how does it help you sort of knowing everybody and know, I mean, I guess there's a downside to that too. Everybody knows you. <laughs> Well, it it it's nice. It's nice to be able to pick up the phone and and you you know um, the teachers. You you know the 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 guidance counselors. Um, we we've kind of always prided ourselves in in this district that that we know each other. Um, and we care about each other, which is probably more important than 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 anything else. So, um, it, I, I have always found that to be to be a real advantage um, is is to be able to to know the folks at the at the school level. Okay, let's let's talk about the year that just was. Um, Y'all were finally getting back into swing after being in and out, in and out with COVID. Uh, what kind of year did y'all have here in the district? Well, we, we really thought going in this time last year, we thought that this is going to be a normal school year. The 21-22 the school year is going to be normal. We're, we're going to be right back to where we need to be. Um, and, and, of course, everybody knows what happened. We, we had a huge rise in, in the COVID cases. Um, we actually had more COVID cases um, last year from uh, August to, to December than we had at any point, um, you know the the real the real COVID year, um, it, it was a tough year, and and I think part of that was because of the number of 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 COVID cases that we had. Um, that's really hard on on the teacher population because when you when you have a significant number of your students that are out, and 
it, it's just harder because you, you have to catch those students up. They're three or four out of every classes. By the time you get two or three um, back to class, you got two or three more out. It, it, was, it was a tough year for teachers. Fortunately, and as we turn the, the, the new year, 2022, um, those cases started to go down. And, and really, the last couple of months of school were about as normal as we've ever, as we've had in the past couple of years. Um, but it, I'll be honest, it, it was a struggle um, at the beginning of the school year, but really through, through the first half of the school year was, was really tough. Um, lots of changes from, from the state, lots of things for us to maneuver uh, as far as decisions to make. And, um, uh, but, but, the, but we ended up the year well, and we're certainly crossing our fingers that this is going to be the most normal year ever, knock on wood. Were you able to kind of get back into some of your extracurricular stuff? I know the sports were back, some of the other things kind of coming back. Did that, that sort of come back this year? Absolutely. We, we were in full swing in all of our sports. There, there was an occasional game that had to be canceled due to, um, you know, either the other team or our team, a uh, significant number of players that, that were in the protocol. But um, for, for the most part, this, this was a pretty normal year. Um, when it came to, um, you know, not just sports, but all kinds of extracurricular activities. You know, student councils were able to, to hold uh, their fun nights and events that they had, and uh, parents were certainly welcome back into, um, into school for uh, awards days and things of that sort. So we, we, were, we were glad to, to be back to normal in, in that area. And that's, a lot of people who don't follow education, that's important because there's a direct correlation between kids who are involved in other things in grades, right? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You, you get a student who's involved in school in some way other than going to class. Um, and, and that's a student who's, who's going to be, uh, they're going to probably graduate from, from school. Um, they're going to probably be more engaged and, and certainly anything that we can do as a district to promote um, those extracurricular activities, the ROTC, the band, the, the sports program, the music program, the art program, student government, lots of, of clubs that, the, that, that schools have. Um, those are really important parts of, of schools so that um, students are involved in school other than, than just, just going to class. As we see here, it's just a few weeks before the teachers actually come back and start getting their classrooms ready. What what are some of the challenges, some of the things you're really looking forward to this coming school year? Well, I, first of all, the things we're looking forward to is 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 really getting back to the work at hand, um, being able to spend our, our resources and our time and effort and energy um, in really looking at at. Uh, how, do, how do we improve learning? How do we make sure that students are learning and all those students are learning at, at high levels? We, we are really glad that, that we're back in that, that business now and we don't have to spend our, our time and energy um, in, in other areas. So, so those are really important. Of course, one of the concerns is, as, as most school districts, um, we, we did have some students who, who lost some ground um, over these uh, the two and a half years of, uh, of COVID. And, and, and that's a challenge for us, is to, is to get those students back up to speed um, and to uh, essentially eliminate any remnants of, of the COVID slide that we, that we may still see out there academically. And that's something they don't teach you in, in, when you're training to be a teacher. What happens if there's a worldwide pandemic and you lose two and a half years of student? <laughs> 
It, it you know it, no you're you're not taught that but to to be fair every year you you have some students that are behind um, uh, for for whatever reason a student may transfer in or, or 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 just may have missed some some basic skills the year before the difference now is the number of those students when you only have one or two you can kind of individually make up the ground. Um, when you have a lot of students, it, it, it really takes a system approach in order to be able to, to catch those students up. Um, and when we feel like we're on the right track and we, we feel like we've got a really good plan for, for this year. Um, of course, the other challenge is, is just space. Um, we, we are growing um, at, at a really rapid rate. Um, we grow about 100 to 300 students a year, anywhere from one to, to three percent. Um, and of course this year we saw the largest number of increase of students that, that we've, we've ever had in, in Anderson 1. Um, and of course if you drive around the district you know exactly why that is. It is uh, subdivision after subdivision, apartment after townhome. Um, there are lots and lots of, of it's development. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely is. And, um, that that creates some real challenges for us. Um, you know, first and foremost is being able to find qualified teachers. It's um, that that's difficult whether you're a growing district or not. But when you're a growing district and you're adding teachers every year, um, and it's really important that we add quality teachers, not just a body in the classroom. Um, our personnel department really has to work extremely hard to make sure that that we're getting the the best and brightest that that are that are out there. Um, and then the other the, the other um, issue is just classroom space. Um, is that you quickly run out run uh, run out of space? We um, we added since 2019 we added 66 classrooms um, in the district, and just about every single one of those are filled now. Um, that 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 is a rate that is incredibly difficult to to keep up with. Um, but that'll be one of the challenges for us for this coming school year, as well as moving forward, is where do we put the students and, and, the, and the new teachers? Um, How are y'all planning for that? I know, you know, we, we talked about the Anderson County Planning Commission denied the impact fees, which kind of leaves y'all with this, facing this challenge of growth, but no funding to fund the growth. Where, where does that leave y'all at this point? Well, we've, we, we really have to look to, to, our, um, uh, to our property owners in, in Anderson 1, and, and that, was the, that was really the whole purpose of the impact fee was to, to hopefully decrease the, um, the impact of, of the school growth on our property owners in, in our district. Um, but unfortunately, in South Carolina, that's, that's the mechanism. You have to sell bonds in order to, to build buildings, in order to build new schools, in order to, um, uh, in order to add additions to schools. And so um, for, for us, we, we, we have three mechanisms and we'll obviously use all three of those. One is we'll need to sell bonds. Um, for the first phase of our next building program, we'll have to sell about $20 million worth of bonds. We'll put about $23 million worth of local option sales tax will be used. Um, and then we'll use some local funds as, as, as well to, to supplement that as well. So those, those are the three areas that, that we'll use to, um, uh, to, to gather funds in order to build new buildings and to add on to, to buildings that are, that are over capacity. I don't think the average citizen recognizes that the key in South Carolina after they pass the 388 is 
industrial base, and, and you guys don't have much of an industrial base in your district, so that puts a challenge on on you that some of the other districts, let's just, I mean, District 5 is the other one, same, roughly the same size. They have a huge industrial base. You guys don't have that, so that puts you all behind the eight ball right away. It, it it does, and 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 the the two the the two types of districts that are really hurt with Act 388 is is districts that are growing, particularly quickly growing districts, and districts that don't have a lot of of industrial business tax base. Unfortunately, Anderson One gets the brunt of both of those. Um, we have lots and lots of subdivisions, um, and of course, as you know, we don't receive any operational money from those um, owner-occupied homes. And so the brunt of that falls um, to the businesses and the rental properties and, and the, uh, the vehicles. Um, and, and so it, Act 388 is, a, it is certainly a big issue for us. Uh, this past year, we, we lost approximately $11 million because of Act 388. For us, that, that's a lot of money. That, that's a lot of money. Had Act 388 not been passed, we would, we would have those funds available for construction projects, uh, hire new teachers. Um, so, um, it, you know, un, un, until Act 388 is, is altered, we're, we're going to be in this condition for quite a while. Circling back around to teachers, are you fully staffed going in? Are you ready for the teachers? I know you're talking about teachers. It's also people forget it's not just teachers. It's all the administrative staff and the, the service staff that support staff for all the teachers. Is that a challenge to continue with this growth? It, it, it is all a challenge. Um, ask any business who's trying to hire employees. I mean, it, it doesn't matter for us whether it, it's a custodian, a bus driver, a teacher assistant, a teacher, an administrator, a guidance counselor. Um, they are all very difficult to, to find. Um, all of the school districts are certainly competing um, for, uh, for quality employees. Um, and that, and that creates, a, creates a real challenge for us to, to be able to, um, to uh, maintain salaries, to be able to, to keep salaries at, at, a, at a position um, where uh, where people are interested in, in applying for positions and, and keeping people, uh, and of course salary isn't everything, but it, it matters, and and, um, and and we know that's that's really important is to try to stay as competitive as we, we possibly can. And one of the big issues we have is that that we a, a large portion of our borders um, board Greenville County. Um, and and we just we, we can't compete with Greenville County's salary scale. So we we keep as close as we possibly can, um, but that's the, that's certainly an issue for us. Um, and and that's kind of where that family atmosphere comes in. In, in that um, we really have to do a really good job of taking care of our employees um, to make sure that we get and keep the very best that we can. And that atmosphere or the schools or whatever creates a demand on the other side. My understanding is y'all get a lot of calls from people wanting their kids to get in this district. Is that right? We, we do. We, we get literally hundreds of calls um, a, a year asking how do we get into Anderson 1 or how do we keep our kids in, in Anderson 1. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the answer to that is pretty simple. We got to live in Anderson 1. Um, and and of course, that's what they're doing. They're, they're moving into they're, they're moving into the school districts, and um, and and that and that's a 
that that's a double-edged sword. It, it's a good problem to have because a, a family who chooses their home based on the school district is a family who knows when report cards come out. They they keep up with grades. Um, they are they are very sensitive to students falling behind um, uh, academically, and all of those are good things for 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 school district. But of course, it, it creates a demand for for space and and additional teachers um, that has to be rectified as well. What will people notice new in terms of facilities, uh, athletic facilities, school facilities coming in this year? Will people see anything new? Well, we are just finishing up our, our 2019 bond referendum um, uh, construction projects. Um, the only things that we have still on the books is, is our um, IT and transportation building. Our, our IT building um, was built in the 1950 actually by, by students that went to Spearman. Uh, at that time, it was Spearman High School. Um, and. Of course, the last thing you want is to have a major internet outage in your in your district. Um, so that should be completed by uh, by December. We've got some roof work going on um, that should be completed in in, in the next uh, couple of months as well. Uh, we've got a, a press box renovation that that's being done. Um, once those are finished, that will actually complete uh, all of the projects that were on our 2019 bond referendum. The problem is, is we're now out of space at Concrete, we're out of space at Spearman, we're out of space at Powdersville Elementary. We have very little space um, at, um, at uh, Palmetto Elementary and, and West Pelzer Elementary. And, and so we, we've got a plan to, to be able to, to add additional schools. We've got, we've got 1,500 students, over 1,500 students right now that go to either Concrete, which is a K through two school, or Powdersville Elementary, which is a three through five school school. Um, that is easily three schools. Um, and so our, our first order of business is, is to take care of those two schools. Um, they are they are at or over capacity and, and uh, concrete. We've, we've got three portables. Um, we may have six or ten but before we're able to build a new elementary school. But that that's certainly the first, first order of business is, is to build an elementary school to relieve those two. Um, as well as Powdersville Middle School um, added a ten-room addition in uh, 2020 and we're full. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a challenge. So we, we built that 10-room addition with the, um, uh, with the understanding that we would, we would be able to build 10 rooms on top of that when we, you know, when we had the funds to do it. And so we'll, we'll need to do that um, very soon um, at, at Powdersville Middle as well. And the ideal, particularly elementary schools, went around six 700, isn't that what? I mean, in a, great, in a perfect world, that's where you're supposed in, to be. In, in a perfect world, if you've got about five to 700 students, that, that's a really good-sized school. Um, it, it, it just works really, really well. Um, philosophically, our, our district has, has kind of been, a, been opposed to having those 12 and 1,500 elementary schools. Um, and... Um, and, and the reality is, by, by the time we add all of those additions on, we probably could build a new school anyway. So, um, um, 
that that that's really what we what we need to do. It also will help us relieve some traffic congestion as well. Um, anybody that's that's driven to the Powdersville schools during uh, arrival or dismissal knows the. Um, the, the real issue of traffic and of course being able to take some of those students um, to another location will certainly help with that traffic. Yeah, that, and you've got that challenge too with the growth of maintaining enough parcels big enough to put new schools in too in your district. I mean, that, you're going to run into that problem before too long. We, we, we do, um, but fortunately we, we, still, we still have a good bit of farmland um, that, that's here that is, that is big enough to, to put an elementary school on. So I, I, think, we'll, I think we'll be okay in, in, in that. I, I think one of the things that, that, that we're struggling with that, that probably all school districts are struggling with is, is really the um, mental health issues that, that our students are, are struggling with. Um, we have seen a significant rise in, in things like depression and anxiety, um, and, and th those are issues that really affect the, the quality of instruction and the quality of learning um, that, that students have. And that's something that we're really going to be focusing on. Uh, we have certainly focused on it um, the, the past few years. Um, uh, hiring additional mental health counselors um, is, is really important. Um, having systems in place to kind of, um, kind of catch kids but before they get too far down that, that road is, is really important to us. And so um, we'll, we'll be spending quite a bit of time um, working on mental health issues, um, trying, trying to help improve those, putting systems in place to, to help our students um, deal with some of the struggles that they're, that they're seeing. Last several years, the Career Center's really grown. What's the latest on the Career Center growth, and what what you're looking forward to from them? Yeah, we we have got a fantastic Career Center, and I, I cannot say enough about the the administration and the faculty and staff out there. They they do they do a fantastic job. Um, at at this point, um, it, it's one of those situations where really just like us they could probably double the number of students that want to go out there, but they just don't have the space. They don't, they don't have the room to, to do that. So uh, Ms. Harrell's been very strategic. Their board has been very strategic about saving money um, and, and, and looking to the next uh, phase uh, as far as what building gets built next and, and which programs they can they can expand uh, and which new programs they can um, they can add so they've they've done a tremendous job with um, with, uh, with with that for sure uh, any uh, I noticed I know you've got a new principal any other new faces coaches anything people will be seeing this year well, we definitely have a new principal at, at Wren High School. We, we're certainly going to miss uh, Dr. Seth Young. Uh, he uh, took a promotion and, and is now assistant superintendent of uh, human resources in uh, in Pickens County, which was um, which was a really good uh, promotion for him. We we hate it that he's gone, but but very very proud of of him and everything that that he's accomplished. And assistant principal at, at school, uh, Kyle Whitfield, uh, was was named the new principal. Uh, uh, about a week ago, I, I guess it was. Um, very excited for Kyle. Uh, wonderful person. Um, uh, staff, 
obviously he's got great relationships with the students and, and staff there. So we're, we're looking for, for great things from, uh, from, from Mr. Mr. Whitfield. And test scores looking okay in spite of all the... You know, they actually are. Um, we, we have been pleased. Obviously, we knew we were going to take some hits um, be, because of the, the COVID issues that we've had. But I, I think we've been real pleased with, with where we are um, relative to the, to, to the state. I, I, I think our teachers, our administrators have done an exceptional job of, of focusing on the things that, that matter. Um, and uh, one, once those test scores are, are released, I, I think we'll be, we'll be pretty pleased with them. How about you and your staff and your principals? Do y'all have any other goals or anything you really want to see happen this year? Well, one of the things that, that we've been working on for the past couple of years, it actually started before, before COVID, and COVID really kind of um, uh, slowed down our plans of, of implementation, um, is the, the full impl implementation of the professional learning community. Um, we believe wholeheartedly that that's the, the, the system, that's the mechanism um, that's going to allow us to, to get to the, to the next level. Um, we, do, we do really well academically, but we also have some students who don't perform well. Um, and we feel like this mechanism, uh, the professional learning community, um, it Tell is... Tell me what that is, I'm not sure. Well, professional learning community is, is really teachers working together in, in, in order to be able to help um, students be successful, in order to help them learn the material. And, and it really revolves around four questions. What, what, what do kids need to, to know? Um, what do they need to be able to do? What, what's the most important things that, that students need to know? You cannot teach all the standards, um, not with the same level of, of rigor. So what is it that kids need to know? And, and how do you know that the kids know that standard? How do you know that they're able to do that skill? Um, that's where common formative assessments come in. Teachers work together to create uh, similar assessments and, um, and then you, you got to be able to look at those assessments, determine whether students um, actually learn, learn the material or not. And then the last two questions is, well, what are we going to do if, if they didn't learn it? And what are we going to do if they already learned it? Um, you know, we have a number of bright students here, um, and and teaching the material that they already know is a waste of our time and a waste of, of their time. So the professional learning community um, not only brings up those students um, who are struggling with the material, who haven't learned those essential standards, um, but it also elevates and escalates those those students um, who are who are doing really well academically but really need to be pushed rigor-wise. So we, we, we feel like it's a great plan. Um, our, um, uh, our administrators, many of our teachers um, have, have been trained, and so we'll, we'll spend the vast majority of this year, um, uh, really the common form of assessment is, the, um, is kind of, last year was the uh, essential standards, what, what's absolutely necessary that every kid goes. This is a guaranteed viable curriculum. Every kid who leaves third grade, every kid who leaves biology is guaranteed to know these essential standards and be able to, to, to do them. 
Um, we, we feel like we're in a really good place there. Now we work on those common formative assessments so that we can all work together. I mean, we got great teachers in, in this district, and I might be really good at teaching a particular thing, but I might not be quite as good at teaching something else. And we, we, we need to use our resources, use our teachers around us to be able to help us to, to, be, to be better teachers in those areas that, that we're not quite as good at. And that's where the common formative assessments come in. You give the students the assessment, you're like, gosh, your kids did really well on this part. What did you do? How did you teach? Well, let me show you what I did. Let me show you how I teach that. And now I'm a better teacher next year because of that. And that kind of plays in what you mentioned earlier about the personal attention to students and stuff. That kind of plays into that same sort of thing. Remind people how y'all as teachers and principals in the district communi will communicate with students this year. Well, it, it's really important that we communicate with students and, and staff and, and our parents and, and community as, as well. And, and certainly our administrators and teachers do a great job um, of keeping an eye out on, on kids at the, at, at the school level. Um, from, from the district standpoint, um, we, we try our best to make sure that parents are informed either through uh, email or, or through social media. Um, uh, social media is one of those kind of necessary evils that um, there's a lot of information that, that can be shared through, through the, the social media network. So that's something that we certainly will, will continue to do next year as well. Meanwhile, in School District 2, Jason Johns, who just completed his first full year in the position and is impressed with his schools and community, uh, talk to me about what's going on there. With six children of his own in that district and those schools, he is in a unique position to see how schools are performing. And he's expecting another po uh, positive performance to continue in his schools in the year ahead. You're, you've had your first full year under your belt now. Um, tell me how, what your impressions have been about this district. Well, I had, I didn't know what to expect as a first year superintendent and I came directly from being a high school principal and so uh, looking at uh, taking care of, of the kids of our community from kindergarten to, to, to 12th grade was kind of an adjustment for me. Um, my whole family moved here last July, July 1st, so we've, we've finished a little bit more, I guess a year and five days, year and six days. Um, so I've got uh, children from uh, first grade all, all the way till I have a senior at BHP this coming year. Um, and I, I tell you, Greg, the transition of, of my family moving to the, the small communities of Belton and Honeypath has been wonderful. I, had, I could not have imagined how graciously the community has wrapped their arms around us. Um, and I'll think of a better way to articulate this when I'm driving home tonight, but um, for example, I bet my little first grader probably, she has spent the night at more friends' house this year than my entire children put together have their entire life. I mean, it is such a friendly and warm community. Um, there's a little dance studio that my little girl goes to. My, I've got a, um, a sophomore at BHP. She's part of the cheer program. Um, uh, my little middle schoolers playing um, um, uh, football at Belton Middle School. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's just great. So uh, that, that's been, that's been wonderful. Um, the, the teachers here are the hardest working, most loving teachers I have ever worked with in our life. If we've got a child uh, Friday morning that we realize he's got holes in his shoes, when he gets on that bus, the end of day Friday. He's got two pairs of shoes, new clothes, and they've got groceries for the whole weekend. And we do that every day. 
just the just the teachers wrapping their arms around our kids are wonderful. Um, as a district, I think when we went through COVID, it was very important for our community to as much as we could keep our kids in school. That was just important to our community. So we were able to do that last year. Um, at the beginning of the semester, there was, you know, still COVID was still, um, um, you know, very impactful, I guess, nationwide and certainly in our community. Uh, but, but we only had nine families. We did a survey last summer. We only had nine families that even expressed an interest to having an online option. Everyone else wanted to come to school, which I think was a real benefit to our, to our kids. Um, and so I, I think we benefited in, from that in ways I'm, I'm not even aware of. Um, you know, some examples I think of that are we just got our advanced placement scores back two days ago. We had the highest passage rate we have ever had in the district. It was above both national and state averages, which we are very grateful. I think that shows an incredible amount of dedication and hard work from our teachers and from our students. Um, uh, we had very little turnover during this hiring season, which we're very grateful for. And I, I think that really shows just the way that our principals are loving on their teachers and just creating an atmosphere where the teachers can do what they need to do for our kids. Um, so those of all, so if you're asking me just a snapshot of what I remember from the year, those are some things that are stand out. And I just really just have a sense of gratefulness. I really do. I know that sounds kind of, I don't know, trite, but, but I, I'm just very, just grateful to be here at, at Anderson too, Greg. I know this is unnatural. Try not to tap the table if you can. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you're in a community here too, that a lot of these people are invested because you've got a large contingent of the people who went through the school system, right? Yeah. I think that gives you, we do have most of our teachers, well, I, I say most, a large percentage of our teachers are graduates from BHP. I think that gives you a special type of loyalty you, you, you can't generate with any other um, a, um, a plan or approach or it just gives you a special type of loyalty. So um, they love their district. They're, they're all in with their district. Um, I think that you've got relationships already embedded when that teacher is looking at their students because they either go to church with a lot of those children. You know, they're either in the youth program or Sunday school teachers of the children. Um, they're coaches in the um, um, in, in the recreational leagues. And so it just, just gives you a special connection with your people uh, that you probably don't have in a larger or a more transient uh, community, which is, which is very special. Um, and, 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 and we're growing also. We had, uh, my children, they all play in the rec league. We had so many basketball teams in our rec league here at Honeypath and Belton uh, that we did not have enough gym space in our churches or our recreational center to hold them. So we had to have we multiple games every night. Um, and so most of the growth is coming from young family with children. Um, and what we are realizing is that, um, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but from the families that we talk with, they're not necessarily mo moving here because there's, there's jobs here. They don't mind driving 20 or 30 minutes for a job. They're moving here for a quality of life. They're moving here because, you know, their children can get on their bike and ride down the road to see their neighbors. They're moving here because, you know, they can they, they can walk down the sidewalk and go to church. They move here because when they go to coffee on Saturday, you know, everybody in that coffee shop, they know or they've seen. And there's just kind of a safety there. Last Saturday, 
I think it's last Saturday, Hunia Path has a Independence Day celebration. And so it's free to everybody. They've got fireworks, they've got inflatables and <laughs> food trucks. Um, and I took my, uh, me and my wife took my first grader, my seventh grader, my sophomore, and my fifth grader, four of my six. And I may just be a bad parent, but I turned those four kids loose, my first grader in included, for two hours and didn't even think a thing about it. And I, I don't know what community you could, there's probably very few that you could do. And I'm a new guy here. I've only been here for a year. And so most of the people there, I, I really don't know their, their name or personally, um, but, but people really care about each other here. Um, and so that's, uh, so having your teachers that, that, that have grown up here, graduate here, come back and teach here, and most of your community really wants to stay here and they want their community to be stronger and they want their school system to be stronger. Um, I, I, I think those are some examples of that. You mentioned growth. How's that playing out in the district? How many students are y'all going to have this year? Do you know yet? Uh, last year we had 3,800 students. Uh, there will be a slight uptick this year. Probably what what our communities are waiting on are for um, housing to become come available for those new families. When when a when a house comes available, it is snatched up in a second. There's just not enough inventory um, to meet the needs of the folks who, who, who want to move here. And so I'm kind of grateful for that very slow growth because it allows you to keep that family feel um, uh, as opposed to just an explosive growth, which makes it a little bit more challenging. So Remind me how many schools y'all have. We have seven schools. So we have a primary school, three elementary school, two middle schools, and then a high school. And yes, sir. This past year, you mentioned COVID, but that was sort of hopefully the tail end of the serious part of it. How did that year play out? What Anything you want to brag about or talk about? Our nurses did an incredible job. We really um, uh, asked our parents, just, just be patient with us. We're not going to be perfect about this. We're, we're, we're hoping that, that we can get through this year and it be much more um, less impacted by COVID than, than, than the last two years. Uh, during the first semester, um, especially as we got into winter time, we saw a significant uptick of COVID cases. Uh, we never had to shut down a school. We had two classes during the whole year that we had to quarantine an entire class. Um, but once we got through February, uh, we noticed a traumatic decline. We went through March, April, and May uh, maybe with a handful of cases during those three months. So we were very fortunate. And, and like you said, we hope that this year is even better. And I guess the extracurricular activities all returned. Everybody was able to get back into their clubs and sports and everything pretty regular. Yes, sir. We were able to do all of our sports. We canceled very few athletic events. Uh, any athletic contest we did have to cancel, it was because of another district that had a, uh, we're having challenges with COVID. So we're very blessed with that. Um, our FFA program, um, which is a big part of, of, of our school district. We had multiple state and national winners. We're actually sending um, six teams to the national competition in November in Indianapolis. Um, um, and so those, all those extracurricular activities were really able to crank up and provide um, an opportunity for our kids to get outside and to, to get involved in something other than school. Uh, we talk to our kids that if, uh, and, I, and I try to be real intentional when we talk to our parents, um, if the only thing your child does is wake up and goes to school and goes to class and then come home, they're probably missing out on some of the most enjoyable parts of school, which are those extracurricular activities and, and those clubs. Uh, we've got a book club at BHP uh, that I get to go to every Thursday morning, and we started out with seven or eight students, and by the end of the year, we had 
25 or 30. And it's just a volunteer book club for kids who want to read books with their teachers and talk about them. That happens before school. So. I think I think research has established too that kids who are involved in other things and extracurricular activities do better academically. Is that your experience? Yes, sir. I think they do better academically, and I think they also just have a higher quality experience in school. And anytime you go to a to a place, in this instance, we're talking about school, and you're looking forward to something. You're just going to be more engaged. You're just going to apply yourself a little bit more because you're enjoying what you're doing, or you're at least looking forward to something that you that, that you get that get to do that you get to enjoy. So um, I I think that is so true. Mm -hmm. Looking at the school you're coming up, what what are people going to notice different? Any new buildings? Any new anything that's been redone or repaired or anything that people will notice differently coming into the school? Yes, sir. There's a couple of things. Uh, we're installing uh, hitting facilities for our softball and our baseball programs. Uh, we are updating or replacing the HVAC system in uh, Marshall Primary and in uh, Belton Middle School. Um, we'll, by the end of next year, we will have replaced all the HVAC systems throughout the entire district. Um, we're repainting most of the interior of all of our gyms in our district. And at our high school, we're redoing the floor. We're repouring a, um, a floor for our lobby area, which is probably the biggest event center in our, in our entire community. Um, and then also uh, repainting the entire gymnasium. So they'll notice an update for that for our, for our student athletes. One of the things, and this is not a facility thing, um, we've noticed that our students need uh, more support uh, for just their social and emotional health. And this year we're hiring two mental health counselors that are gonna be in district employee. In the past, we've contracted with the Department of Mental Health and they've been wonderful partners with us, uh, but, but, but they're not part of our school family and we don't have access to them the way that our students or our teachers need. So we're bringing on board two mental health counselors that are gonna serve our students every day uh, throughout the school year. And we're excited about providing that support for our students. Any other academic initiatives you were just talking about? None, any other new things coming or, or, yes, sir. or expanded? We have got, uh, and this is something I think is unique to our district, we've got 30 teachers that are going through their national board certification. They completed year one last year, and they'll be completing year two, which is the culmination of their national board certification. And as a district, we are funding that entire certification process for those teachers. Um, and that process really prepares teachers uh, to reflect on their own teaching, what is most effective practices, and making sure the students are learning and achieving at the level they need to, and just making sure that their delivery with that instruction is engaging as, as it can be, because all of our students learn differently. So, so a, a big challenge is, you know, once you know the content is uh, what different ways do my, my students need me to teach this information so that they're engaged and so they retain it. And so they're able to connect that content with real world stuff. And so we've got 30 teachers who have volunteer, volunteered. Uh, they, we do after school classes that are led by some of our current national board teachers and they'll be finishing up that process this year. Any other student initiatives or things you are working? We have a uh, leadership program for our students. So I meet with our high school students and our middle school students uh, once during the fall and once during the spring just to get their input on um, ways that we can meet their needs better and make schools more engaging. So I'm excited about learning from them and spending time with them. And we also have a group of, of men. Uh, we began this at the end of this year. Uh, they're going to be meeting with our after school middle school students uh, beginning in August and just doing some uh, relationship building and a mentor program. And these are just men from the community uh, that, uh, that, that met with me and just really wanted to um, 
be a part of something that um, um, helps our young people to um, uh, learn how to be productive and caring and compassionate adults. We'll be doing that with all of our middle school after school programs this year. and We're really excited about that. How about the cooperative effort with Career Center? How have you seen that grow? Uh, that grows every year. Uh, the Anderson County Technology Center that we share with Anderson School District 1, that is an incredible resource. And we're starting this year uh, having uh, all sophomores, juniors, and seniors uh, go through that program. Um, uh, the goal is having them certified in some career tech uh, certification program just based on what their interests are. Uh, but it has just exploded. Um, uh, the welding program has grown. Uh, the construction program has grown. Uh, there's actually a, a, a media program with, that has a, a radio um, um, portion of it that they produce a radio show every week, uh, and the kids absolutely love that. When you go into that facility and see all the uh, production booths, and, and I can't even talk any more intelligently about it than that, um, it's, it is state of the art. It looks like you're going into a, 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 a something in downtown Greenville that is producing a, a TV show. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. So uh, what Miss Holly Harrell does, who's the director of that Anderson uh, County Technology Center does, is second to none. We're very grateful for that resource. What about any other objectives or strategies or goals that you and the board have for the coming year that we haven't talked about so far? Uh, some of the goals that we have is to continue to um, establish strong foundational literacy skills for our students. Last year, we began a comprehensive literacy program from kindergarten to second grade, and we're extending that to third grade so that all of our K through third grade classes are teaching um, uh, best literacy strategies, because we believe that is a foundational skill for our students. To be honest with you, every class is a reading class. You just change the books. And so having strong literacy skills with our students is most important with us. We're also having this summer, it actually starts next week, uh, 27 of our teachers going through Orton-Gillingham training, which is an instructional approach uh, that uses multi-discipline um, strategies to, to teach content to teachers, so some to students. So some students are auditory learners, some are kinesthetic learners, some are visual learners. So that training equips our teachers to be able to meet those kids where they are. And we have 27 teachers that have signed up for that that'll be throughout our district um, to meet the needs of those students. So that's it's really important to our board that um, regardless of what type of learner is in our classroom, we can meet their needs, we can engage them, we can show them how what they're learning in class really does apply to the real world and, and you know, and, and hopefully that, that child enjoys it. So. And a lot of these things you're talking about are, are efforts that you're going to be working with the parents. How will the classrooms and uh, teachers and districts communicate with parents this, this fall and spring? Uh, we we um, started a new um, website last year, um, and it has the capacity to uh, send out text messages, phone calls, and emails to all of our parents. Those are uh, tools we have not had in the past. Um, every Friday, all of our schools and each teacher will send their parents an email. We started that last year as well, and we've noticed our parents are very appreciative every week just getting an update of this is what we did this week in our classroom just to let you know. These are some of the things your children will be taking home over the weekend, and this is what they can look forward to next week. Um, th there's no secret about communication. To be a good communicating district, you just do it a whole lot. 
And so um, that's, it, it's important that our parents and our community knows what's going on in, uh, in our schools. And that's, that's kind of the approach that we take with it. And as a father of six in the district in all different places, I guess you see a lot of that coming home and trying making sure they're getting the communication is pretty clear. Yes, sir. Uh, I as uh, I married way up, and so my my, my wife is uh, much smarter and well organized than I. But uh, I think it's a blessing having your children in all areas of the school um, because anytime I meet with a parent who um, I'm partnering with them to they're having some challenges in the school. Um, I know what it's like to have an elementary child and a middle school and a high schooler and a post high schooler um, so I'm I think it helps me to be very sympathetic and realize that um, you know we may not be able to fix it but we're in it together and and, and I'll listen to you and, and if I can help you anyway I will um, and if I can't I'll tell you that too most people are pretty receptive to that nobody expects you to have all the answers uh, they just want you to care about their child and do the do your dead level best for them any other big challenges you are facing in the coming year that you're looking at already uh, in our district, uh, most of our facilities are a combination of, of, of a 1950s building, a 1980s building, and we have some early 2000 buildings. So in the uh, next couple of years, we'll have some facility challenges in funding those. Uh, we've been very blessed over the last several years to uh, have benefited from a one cent sales tax um, a referendum that was passed several years ago. Uh, that'll run out in 2028. Um, if you look at our schools, uh, every single school has benefited immensely from that sales tax. And so as we draw closer to 2028, um, I'll make sure I do a good job of communicating that to our community. Um, that sales tax is, collect is collected countywide, so that's not a burden exclusively on our Anderson 2 families. We benefit from all of the gas stations that people stop at from North Carolina and Georgia as they go to Clemson. Uh, we benefit from um, in, you know, all the events and all the summer events that happen um, in Anderson County. We get a portion of those one, one cent sales tax purchases, and so that has been absolutely critical to providing uh, classrooms that are conducive for students learning, to providing resources for all of our extracurricular clubs. Um, those funds are being used to build an FFA barn um, for our students this summer for, to build the two hitting facilities for our students. Uh, those resources are used to paint the inside of our building. Those resources are used to replace all of our HVAC systems. Um, so it's very critical that we uh, continue that after 2028 and I'll make sure to um, do my best to communicate that to our community. And I'm sure you're, you encourage all the parents to get to know their teachers and if they have any other issues, I get, they can contact you or contact your office or what? Absolutely. We encourage the, um, the, our, the teacher is going to be able to help them the most. And every Friday, they're going to receive an email from that teacher. And, and part of that, in addition to just sharing information, is to make it very easy for our parents to reach out um, uh, to their teachers um, and express any concerns or just any help they need. Um, and of course, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always very excited to meet with our parents if, if there's anything I can help them with. And next time I will include an interview with Dee Christopher, who is superintendent of Anderson County School District 4. And in the weeks ahead, our inter we'll interview uh, School District 3 Superintendent Kathy Hipp, the county's longest serving superintendent in, in the same position. And one of the things that has offered a major boost to opportunities for students in Anderson County is the establishment of two career centers. One's been here a long time, and the Anderson Career and Technology Center, which serves school districts one and two, is marking 50 years of service. 
And I talked to Executive Director Holly Harrell, who has been at the center for more than 20 years, about the history and the future of the facility. This is a, a historic year for the Career Center. Tell me, tell me about that. It is. We're we're coming up on our 50th year. Uh, next fall will actually be 50 years of serving students. This year is 50 years of the building being open, but actually um, in the fall of 2003 will be 50 years of serving Anderson 1 and Anderson 2 district students. Who, who started this? Remind people how this got started. So we were started way back in 1970 um, by um, a couple of people. Uh, Marion Middleton from Williamston wanted to create um, uh, Williamston uh, Park, the Spring Park. And he got together with the old ag teacher who was David Chastain at the time and uh, went into um, the director of the Council of Governments and wanted to secure grant funding. And at the end of that conversation, that director, um, his name was Don Henson, said, we need to create a vocational center for this area. And that's kind of when the ball started rolling back in 1970. So they started uh, securing funding from 71 and 72. Um, Mr. Chastain became the director of the Career Center, the very first directors. And um, from there, um, our center just evolved. And what were they doing then? What was their focus then? What were their... It was on vocational education. But I mean, do you remember education. what programs? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, we had the traditional, we had welding, we had sewing. We had um, things such as auto collision, but it, at that time, of course, was not called that. I think it was actually called auto repair, um, which incorporated the auto body part and the techno technology part of it. We had uh, several business courses in health science, so pretty much some standard things, um, not to the, obviously, the advancement that we're at now. But we started with uh, 425 students in 1973. Would those founders even recognize the place and the program today, would they? Well, they might because our original building is still here. So when you walk into our facility, the front has changed, but the actual original building, the East Wing, West Wing, uh, as I call it, the H label, it, it, the structure is still there. The, the same floors that are here that they put down in 1972 are still here. Um, so, so budget they might reminder, budget reminder. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, obviously, since that time, I mean, I've got uh, so many improvements and so many additions that we've made since 19. I'm just thinking the programs. I mean, with with the advent of the internet and all these mm -hmm. things, the programs, their ability to even vision cast something this amazing would probably have been unheard of. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And the number of students. I mean, from we're starting off 425, and we capped this year off with just under 2,000 students. Even at our 20 years, I was hired actually 20 years ago, and at 20 years ago, we were sitting at 1,150 students. So we doubled the first 20 years from 425 to about 1,150, and then um, now we're just ending up with just at 2,000. So I mean, it seems like every 20 years we're doubling the number of students, which is really cool. Um, so we have more people that we can serve now. Of course, our programs have changed. We started out with 13 programs. Uh, and now we're sitting at 21. And some of them, um, the actual curriculum is very similar, but obviously it is so updated. It's so much more high tech than what it used to be. Are you, do you have enough space? I mean, do you need more space? We always need more space. We, we're turning um, almost uh, 300 students away from us again this year. We average anywhere between 200 and 300 students that we turn away. 
um, because of capacity and and you know the way we're we're set up and the way we're funded um, we can't create debt so it's not something that we can just go out and and we need a new building and we we put a bond out there and and we borrow the money we can't do that so we have to actually save up in order to expand and so when we save up then we can build a building and so every couple of years we save up enough money we cut we cut funds so the Anderson delegation approves our budget and and we have to live within those constraints our board of trustees tells us where that money needs to go and then from there if we can cut those budgets and we can save up and we can build a building. And that's kind of what we try to do every year. Every year I just try to cut a little bit out of this budget, a little bit out of this budget, and then and then have a building fund. Um, we do, we have started a line item in our budget to build, so that is new. Um, in the last several years, we've been able to increase that, so we at least have a little destination of that we know that we're gonna save every single year, we're gonna save for new buildings. But since 99, I mean, I've got pages I was say, of what What changes have you seen since you've been here? I mean, you've been here almost half the history of this. Yeah, yeah. So the first building, once the, the, the initial building was built, um, and the first addition was in 99, it was a health science building. And then in uh, 2000, we did a welding building. And then in 2002, we did a multi-purpose building, who is now Mechatronics. We've changed that Mechatronics. And then in 2006, that's when the ball started rolling with everything else. So we did, we've done auto tech, we've done construction, we've done um, agriculture, um, auto collision. Um, all of those buildings are outside our main facility because it's, ch it's cheaper to build outside the main facility than attach on. And then of course we built our new, brand new um, multi-purpose or what we call the conference center uh, in the last couple of years. So we have, which is available to our business partners in our community to be able to use with parking and, and security measures have, have come about and we're actually now in the process of building new maintenance and IT facility for our staff uh, because we want to expand into manufacturing and logistics and we can't do that um, in our current state because we want our student buildings close to the main buildings. It's much safer. So we have to move the maintenance and IT away from our main building, out a little ways so we can put our new classrooms close. How have you seen demand for programs change? What, what changes have you seen in the last 20 years? Let's just talk about the time mm -hmm. you've been here. So we've seen a lot uh, specifically in the manufacturing um, side of it, whether it be CNC or mechatronics, um, uh, technical, technical hands-on skills. We've seen a lot with that. We've seen um, it grow immensely with our health science and as well as our computer um, computer programs. And I'm gonna talk about networking, programming, um, all of cybersecurity, all of those type areas have grown dramatically. And engineering has too. And for people, let's, let's put a little marker right here. For people who may have, be watching have never heard of the Career Center, you just this is the first time they've come across anything tell them what y'all do here explain just in a very broad sense what you do here sure so we are a multi-district career and technology center there are very few of us in the state um, and we are, are locally set up and we service Anderson District 1 and Anderson District 2 Anderson 1 has Palmetto High School Powdersville and Wren, and District 2 has Belton Honeypath and so our students are split between those schools they spend a half a day with us and they go back to their home high school and spend a half day with them. Now they could come to their home high school first and then come to us in the afternoon, but it's pretty much 
a morning or afternoon class and they spend half a day with us. From there, um, they choose in their 10th grade year, they come and, and just experience a program. We call it introductory programs. They come and they take a class and um, it possibly take two classes depending on if we have room and depending on if their schedule allows it. They could take up to two introductory classes in, in the 10th grade and then from there in the 11th grade, they choose a program to stay in and then they're in that program for two years. In that, in that time, we create many work-based learning opportunities. Work-based learning is hugely uh, important for us. So we want to customize that work-based learning for our students, whether it be a paid co-op, an internship, a job shadow, a field study. Um, all of those things are intertwined. And um, it's important to find that fit for our students and for business and industry. Because if we're not creating qualified workers, then our business and industry are not getting served. And we're Remind me about part. the partners, those partnerships and mm -hmm. how important those are. Extremely important. You'll ask them what they need, right? And yes, so we have advisory committees from each of our programs, um, have advisory committees made up of industry professionals locally. We have our uh, community college partnerships, our, all of our college partnerships on those as well. We have former students, current students, um, uh, anybody that, uh, that, that that have touched that program and they come in a couple times a year and they talk to our teachers, they talk to our kids and see where we're at, see what they need. Um, and then of course we have a school-wide one um, that we head up that we talk about just the school in general. Like for example, when Arthrex came in, they, they wanted CNC machinists. We don't have that at this point. However, I want to, I'm working toward it. We just haven't got that program yet. So that type of person um, and business would come to me about that and, and our work-based learning coordinator, Travis. And so we, we work on that to, 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 to fit that need that's already not in place. Tell me about some of the success stories and feedback you've gotten from students who've gone through the program. Oh my gosh, we have so many and it's amazing since I've been here since 2002, how many students that have gone on to do such great things, whether it be um, um, uh, the head nurse in, in, at InMed Health. I mean, she, she was one of our students and now she's the, the lead nurse there. Um, I mean, there are so many success stories. I couldn't even place them down. Cody Salone works for well, he did work for WYFF for years, and he came out of our media broadcasting program. Um, you know, we, we have got so many of these stories that we've touched where students have come back and said, look, this is what the foundation was. And I think what we hear from them mostly is the soft skills, because we, we, we teach them those high-tech skills. We teach them how to be uh, a CNA. We teach them how to weld. We teach them how to diagnose a car. But in the process of all of that, the most important part is teaching that soft skills and those employability skills, how to show up on time, how to show up for work. If you're not going to show up, what to do, uh, punctuality, teamwork, uh, cooperation, being that leader, all of those skills that we look for in any occupation to be a good employee, that's what we're looking for and that's what we teach on a daily basis to our students. And I think that is the, the, the biggest accomplishment that I see from our employers and from our students. One of the things high school students are always looking for is a sense of community. Do you feel like they get that here and within the programs, they get to know each other and really build a sense of community? Oh yeah, and you know, it's so funny because we have all four schools here. And you know, during football season, sometimes they play each other, but we don't see that here. When they come here, they're an ACTC student. 
and they work together and, and they learn how to do that and we teach that you know we teach that teamwork process that we're all on the same page here and it's neat to see the kids from Powdersville interact with these kids from BHP and they're 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 no they're they're all they're all the same they're all the same good quality human beings and how many programs total do you have now so this year we're coming up on 21 programs um, and I, I see us adding down the future logistics and, and of course the the advanced manufacturing so that's going to be coming up on the horizon real soon we've had a lot of successes this past year um, gosh we've won so many different awards um, you know we've we've won an auto collision the state award on auto collision and graphic communications um, and digital art and design uh, our media broadcasting class has the only high school run radio station in the state of South Carolina um, and so we've, they, they bring home all these awards every year, um, and these are national awards. We won the Lander Film Festival. Um, we just got into eSports, um, which is new and up and coming uh, through our computer, um, uh, computer um, science courses. And so we've won several awards with them. Our aerospace class, we've got a drone class that we finally got a pilot out of. We, we actually certified some students in, in drone certification. So they were, that's a first initial stage of the pilot's license. Um, our culinary arts win state what, out of the last 11 years. We won it nine out of the last 11 years. Um, and then we go to nationals, and, and this year we won second place in both the culinary arts portion of it and in, in uh, the management portion of it. So um, we get lots of donations every year. So our community is supporting us and they want us to succeed. And if we don't have that whole connection of our board of trustees, our, our, our superintendents, our feeder schools, our parents and our students back in a business and, and industry we can't be successful and we have that every single year and it shows in our enrollment and it shows in the number of students that we keep turning away how did the sort of the sputtering out hopefully of covid impact you guys because you're so hands-on this is not something you can just log on from home and <laughs> yes and we found that out quick like so when we were sent home in march um and not told not to come back to school we we did this thing called e-learning online and it was we had nine weeks of um, of e-learning, and it it was not it was not a great experience for CTE programs uh, for career tech ed. We we are hands-on, and we're different. I mean, 75% of the time, uh, a student is in a classroom. They're on they're hands-on. They're not listening to lecture. So that became very difficult. So we had to figure a way out with the two um, districts how we were going to be able to get in person as much as possible. Both districts wanted to be in person, and we just need to figure it out. So. Um, we, for the first, I think it was three weeks, we went um, kind of half, 50% was on campus, 50% was at home, and that was not successful for us. It wasn't successful for the two districts either. We just all got together and we're like, well, let's just try it and see how it makes it work. So we spread our kids out and, and we gave students options to drop us if they didn't want to be exposed to the other schools, and we did have some of that. I mean, we, we probably lost two or three hundred students. I mean, we were at our highest prior to COVID. We were at almost 2,200 students. Um, so we're, we're working back from that. We're recovering. Um, we see that our sophomore class coming in, there has been, we're right back up to the same numbers that we were at prior to COVID. So we did take a hit in enrollment wise, but we're, we're, we're coming right back to that. Any other goals and accomplishments from this past year y'all were able to achieve that y'all were shooting for? Yeah, so we uh, we finally got a partnership um, for EMT 
program. So we do EMT certification through our firefighting program. And so we, uh, we've got um, a technical careers pathway that, you know, a long time ago was made possible by Brian White. He got it together and, and we piloted it with mechatronics and it works great and our students have to really, if they're motivated enough, they could do one semester at Tri-County and get their two-year degree and it's all totally free. So we kind of wanted to figure out that pathway with EMT because that is such a necessity in Anderson County. So we got that figured out with Tri-County Tech. They've been a great partner with us. So our students will now be able to get EMT certified through our firefighting or a health science class. Um, so that was a big win for us. We actually uh, finished up with Lander University in our digital art class, so our students are getting six hours of credit through Lander University as well. Um, so that was huge. Um, and, and we look forward to the, the, the future of, of doing all kinds of things. We got a, um, a barn and a maintenance uh, I told you about the maintenance and IT facility we got going on. We have a new barn being built next year, so that'll be coming in. Um, we're going to try to renovate an eSports lab because we are seeing lots of students that are really interested and in And for people e who don't know, there are college scholarships for oh eSports now. There are lots of college scholarships. Not only college scholarships, there's lots of jobs. I mean, and, and, and people can sit from home and work on eSports. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of that. And if we can integrate that within our computer science and everything relates back, they think they're playing games, but it all relates back to that programming. And uh, of course, most every job, I can't think of a job now that doesn't relate to some type of computer science. Um, and then uh, we secured a grant this year for our campus-wide outdoor classroom. We've been working on for the last couple years and, and we are actually expanding our construction program we integrated electricity two years ago, and that is just booming. And so we're um, putting some outside area for them to expand as well. Any other goals or objectives for the coming year you and your board have identified? Uh, not for the, the, what for I the just club? said. Yeah, those things. <laughs> those I things. just said there's anything else. Yeah, no. Um, and in five years, though, we do have a goal in five years to have a logistics and CNC building built and start running classes out of that. And we're hoping to work with Tri-County to do another pathway for them so it's, again, seamless. They can get college credit while they're on our campus. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but your students have a pretty high graduation rate, right? If they start a program here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, just overall with CTE in South Carolina and in the nation, it's well above 95%. But we're at the 99%. 99% of our students that start here in the junior year they will finish high school uh, with their high school diploma, industry credential, and be able to, to have a job. I mean, in the last, um, gosh, 20, 30 years, um, we've had a 90% placement in either college or in the workforce. So 90% of our students already, when they graduate, are going into a job or right into college, either one of them, um, which, is, which is pretty high. Um, Oh, and, the, and in that, they have that work-based learning experience because we think that is the most important thing to get them out into the workforce and spend a couple of days and figure out if this is what they want to do or what they don't. And we're just as good figuring that out uh, than we are trying to find them a job. You know, if we can, we can tell uh, a student that who wants to go into nursing and then we send them out to AnMed Health and they come back three days later and they're like, well, well this is not what I want. That to us is just as valuable than them going out for three days and coming back and saying, I nailed what I want. I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I think all of that, it all fits together. And 
you've seen, I'm sure, substantial salary changes in the kids graduating going straight to work in the last few years since you've been involved in this. Tell the people about oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So when I when I came in 2002, I was signing co-ops. Now, co-op is a, a paid placement. So instead of coming to school their senior year, um, then they go to the work. They go in the workforce and they actually have a job. And we the business industry pays them and they get uh, high school credit at the same time. And we started out with maybe $8, $8.50 an hour. I signed a co-op this year for $22 an hour. It is crazy. Um, so yeah, our, our industry sees it, our business, uh, business partners see it, and our students and parents see it. Um, and it's a win for the student, it's a win for the parent, and win for the industry. It's all, it's all works together. Speaking of students and parents, if students and parents uh, in this in districts one or two want to find out more, come tour. How do they find out more about if their kid might be interested in doing this? Sure. So we have a website, and it's very interactive. We are very interactive in social media, and actually our students do our social media. So we have a presence on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all of those other social media platforms. So we have that. Um, so the best thing is to go to our website. You can call our office, front office, and schedule a tour. But we tour every ninth grader through our facility every single year. So they have that opportunity. We tour them in the fall, and then um, we come out a couple days later, and they can um, pick some programs they're interested in. Sometimes we have parents that want to come with them. We always have an open house every year as well, and that's usually in uh, January. So we, um, we, do, we offer lots of certifications for our students. Um, we started off um, early, early on um, 20 years ago with about... 300 certifications. This year we had 1,851 certifications from our students. It's huge with a 95% passage rate, which is even cooler. Um, our work-based learning started off with, um, you know, 150 students back in 2000. And this year we had 1,861 experiences. So we feel that is hugely valuable in um, our students making a decision of where they want to go after high school. And the certifications also generally mean more money too, right? Absolutely. For the student and for the school too. I plan to catch up with James Couch, Executive Director of the Anderson Institute of Technology, which serves the other three school districts uh, pretty soon about the growth in that facility since it opened in 2019. It's been pretty phenomenal how fast they've grown as well. And that's it for this edition of the Anderson Observer News from People You Trust podcast. Join me next time with where interviews will include... Uh, Tri-County Technical College President Galen DeHay, uh, Superintendent D. Christopher, and Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns with an update on what's going on in the county. But until that time, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.